Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Psalm 42. It is interesting to note how both translation and tradition affect how we hear certain verses of the Bible. Psalm 42, verse 1, begins with these very well-known words. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The old King James used to render that, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The word heart there is an old English word, that means stag. We don't use it anymore, but the word referred to a mature male deer or ram. Changing the word to the more common but generic deer obscures the original meaning. The verse meant to compare David's experience of isolation from corporate worship to the experience of a stag being hunted and harried across the mountains. Because the stag was on the run, he couldn't stop for water. David was on the run and therefore couldn't go to the tabernacle to worship and refresh his soul. That's the imagery. But a lot of that is lost when we move from stag to deer. The verse becomes more sentimental. A deer is a soft and gentle creature, easily spooked and startled. And of course, if you're my age, the very popular and very sentimental song, As the Deer from the 1980s, adds to the distorted feel of this verse. I will fully admit that I have a hard time even quoting this verse in any actual version because the version I know is the version of the song, which is no version of the verse at all. And and again, there's a feel associated with that song that is now stuck in my soul. If if you do a, a, a search for As the Deer on YouTube, the most popular version that comes up, having been viewed over 15 million times, shows a little baby deer, a little Bambi, standing nervously in a little stream of water. And, and then it quickly moves to a picture of a six-year-old boy tentatively lifting up his cute little hands in worship. Now, to be clear, all of that is fantastic. I love the movie Bambi. You should see it. And I love it when six-year-olds learn to worship Jesus. But that's just not what this psalm is about. When we understand what this psalm is actually about, we understand it should probably be set to some music from the Lord of the Rings soundtrack or or maybe something similar to Karl Orff's Carmina Burana. This is a psalm about how strong people, strong men specifically, need worship, particularly when they are being harried by vicious and determined enemies. It's a It's a verse about danger, pursuit, fatigue, need, determination, and endurance. It's about reminding yourself that God will sustain you during lean and perilous times if you continue to seek him and trust him with every ounce of energy you have remaining. It is about speaking to yourself and to God so that you aren't intimidated and overwhelmed by the voice of your enemy, both inside and outside your head. It's a strong psalm. It's a helpful psalm for harried servants trying 
desperately to stay ahead of their pursuers. Thanks be to God. Let's read it together. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning with the ascription and carrying on to verse 1. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Let's just pause here again and remember that the Hebrew word translated here as deer actually means stag, a male deer. And the word is actually a form of the Hebrew word for strength. The dictionary defines this word as follows. Strength, hence anything strong, specifically a chief, politically, also a ram. In the intensive form that it appears in here, it means a stag or male deer, heart. So David's choice of words intends to communicate strength. This is a male stag on the run before vicious pursuers. By the way, I love the title that Derek Kidner gives to these two psalms together. 42 and 43 are a unit, as we'll see in just a minute. Kidner gives the two of them together the title, Far From Home. That is fantastic. Again, these psalms, if they are to be set to music, should sound like something from the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. This is a psalm about a strong man in exile being harried like a stag across the wastes and wilderness of ancient Israel. So put away all your Bambi imagery and think more of Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring and the journey of the nine friends through the mountains and mines of Moria. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Most older commentators assume the authorship of David for Psalm 42. The ascription means only that it belonged to the sons of Korah. That is, they sang it. They didn't necessarily compose it. And everything is in the singular, so it seems highly unlikely that it was written by the sons of Korah. More likely that it was written by David and then sung by them. It has traditionally been understood as a Psalm of David. W.S. Plumer, for example, says it well suits the case of David in his long exile from Jerusalem in the days of Saul, closed quote. So David's on the run. He is constantly on the move. He has been driven away from the corporate life and worship of his people. That's the meaning of his anguished cry. When shall I come and appear before God? And we see here the high value that David put on corporate worship. We often put the emphasis on private devotion, but corporate worship was the heartbeat of the covenant community in ancient times. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Religious festivals, of course, were also times of feasting. In fact, many Israelites only ate meat at religious festivals, not because they were vegetarians, but just because that was the only time they could afford to do it. So festivals were not just times of refreshing for the soul, but also times of refreshing for the body. But David is shut out of those things. He's been eating his own tears for longer than he can remember. He misses everything about those corporate gatherings, and he wonders whether he will ever have that experience again, whether he will ever participate in those festivities again. But he doesn't want to fall into despair, and so he begins to speak to himself and to push back 
against the depression. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said famously that the key to avoiding depression is to spend more time talking to yourself than listening to yourself. We see David adopting that approach in these verses. He reminds himself that God is faithful. His word is sure. Therefore, David will be king and he will be restored to his people and to the worship of the covenant community in God's perfect timing. Don't despair, O my soul. Hope in God and look more upon him than upon your present circumstances. The geographical references here lead many commentators to suppose that David was in the north at this point, somewhere near the headwaters of the Jordan, which makes sense given the language and imagery of verse 7. David says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, earlier in the psalm, David expresses a longing for the peaceful waters and the pleasant brooks, but here he speaks of water as an enemy. Water, of course, can be both. It can be life or it can be death. And the way that David is moving back and forth in his imagery is reflective of the vacillation occurring in his own soul. David is fighting for faith here, and he is bringing us into the battle. As for that marvelous phrase, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, J. Alec Machir says here, The deep was, in pagan thought, considered an independent force, antagonistic to the ordered work of the Creator. There may be a suggestion here that behind his human adversaries, there lie hidden, dark forces of evil, regarding which he reminds himself that any and every power at work is but a tool in Yahweh's hand. Satan's breakers are Yahweh's waves, closed quote. That is well and helpfully said. Verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Here we see David taking his eyes off those dark hidden forces and putting them squarely upon the Lord. That's the decision you have to make to win the battle over your own fears and depression. And that's what David is doing. He's saying, I will not stare fearfully into the dark. I will look to God who is with me in my prayers and in my song. I will praise and pray my way out of the shadows. So help me God. Verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here we see that David's prayers were not mere platitudes. He asked real questions, but he asked them in faith. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That's faithful questioning. David takes his hurts and his injuries and his concerns to God, and then he takes what God gives him in that exchange, and he turns around and speaks peace and truth to himself. We see that in verse 11 as the psalm comes to a close. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. In this psalm, we see David acting almost as a go-between, moving back and forth between his soul and his God. He speaks to God, and then he speaks to himself. Tim Keller says here, this self-communion is a vital spiritual discipline, closed quote. Amen. And yet another reason for us to be thankful for the book of Psalms. The RMM Bible reading plan has us reading two Psalms today, so we'll also take a quick look at Psalm 43. These Psalms are meant to be read together. That is likely why there is no ascription whatsoever for this Psalm. The ascription of Psalm 42 is assumed to apply here. Once again, we can observe a certain pattern in this psalm as David alternates between dark moods and affirmative praying. He is battling despair in these psalms, and he is trying to drag himself out of fear and depression and back into the peace and gratitude of faith. This short psalm is usually recognized as having two distinct parts, the lament of verses 1 to 4 and the expression of victorious hope given finally and climactically in verse 5. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Every honest believer will likely wrestle at some point with the disappointment of discovering that being a friend of God does not necessarily exempt us from pain and suffering. There is a a little prosperity gospel in all of us. We do tend to think that if I am right with God, then all should be well with me in the world. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? And so we have to face that. We, we have to face the fact that we have enemies in this world. This world is fallen and hostile, and that's a kick in the teeth. And it can destabilize us in our walk of faith. It threatened to destabilize David in his walk of faith, but he pushes back. He, he's honest. He says to God, you are my God. Why then have you rejected me? Why am I going about like a man in mourning? I don't know the answer to that, David says. But I am not despairing. I am not disbelieving. You are my God, the God in whom I take refuge. David is still believing, and David is still praying. We see that in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Here it sounds almost like David is praying the benediction over himself. O God, bless me and keep me. Lift up the light of your countenance and shine upon me. I need to be blessed, Lord. John Calvin understands the word light here in that sense. He says, the term light is to be understood as denoting favor. For as adversities not only obscure the face of God, but also overcast the heavens, as it were, with clouds and fogs, so also, when we enjoy the divine blessing which makes rich, it is like the cheerful light of a serene day 
shining all around us, closed quote. I think that's exactly right. David is saying, bless me, Lord. Break through the clouds. Bring me back into the light. Show me your favor. Help me find my way home. And home for David is the altar of God. Home is worship. Home is the covenant community. Home is church. Matthew Henry says here, those whom God leads, he leads to his holy hill and to his tabernacles. Those, therefore, who pretend to be led by the Spirit and yet turn their backs upon instituted ordinances certainly deceive themselves, closed quote. If God is leading you, Henry says, then he will be leading you back into worship, back into community, and back into active involvement, active engagement, active membership among the people of God. That's where David wants to be. Rescue me, Lord, and bring me home. And now having prayed and laid bare his heart, David is at rest. We see that in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. David has wrestled his way out of fear and depression. Derek Kidner says here, Outwardly, nothing has changed, but he has won through. Closed quote. David's still in the cave. David is still on the run. But David is now at rest. He has wrestled his depression out the door, and he is left in the dark, but he knows that the Lord is with him. That is biblical faith. That's what it means to be a believer in a broken and hostile world. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here, for another episode of Into the Word. Before.